all the things are turned off, all the things are muted, and I am in a good position to have a chat with you for our show. All right. Juan Carlos, I believe that's your cue. There we go. I don't even have to say it. You don't. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. 14 September Thursday is what my calendar says. Yes, indeed. And by now, you'll probably know if you're a regular listener, and if you're not, then welcome. Happy to have you. Thursdays is all about listening back to some of the big stories of the week or of today, depending on when the audio came out. So we've got some audio clips lined up. We're going to get into what was said in those clips and what was left out. Uh, So here's the first one. You know, the talking heads, the pundits, the companies want to say that, you know, if we strike, it can wreck the economy. It's not that we're going to wreck the economy. We're going to we're going to wreck their economy, the economy that only works for the billionaire class. It doesn't work for the working class. Why don't you take this Hmm. one, Kai? All right. uh, Boy, there was a lot in there. So that was Sean Fain. He's the uh, reasonably newish president of the United Auto Workers on CNN the other day. Um, you've all heard about the news uh, that there could be a strike effective this evening, depending on when you listen to this. That would be Thursday. It looks now like it's not going to be a broad general strike against all three of the big car makers, uh, but more selectively targeted strikes to uh, induce some pain. The UAW is asking for a lot, and it's asking for a lot because, number one, it's given back a, a lot over the last uh, five to eight to nine years, uh, but also because the companies are growing and doing a boatload of business. I will uh, uh, recommend, not for the first time, um, uh, uh, the, God, Jesus, can I just speak? Well, you enough with the, uh, 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 what is that? Um, the, so the Daily had a great episode on this the other day. The other day, um, And it was, it went through the history of the UAW, what the workers gave back, what the workers got in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and then what they gave back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and then the bankruptcies and all that. Really super interesting. Anyway, um, UAW is not messing around this time. And I don't know how the car makers, given the many billions of dollars they've been making and the huge raises their CEOs have gotten, um, are going to be able to get away without giving substantial concessions, I think. I mean, this is a theme I've been seeing in a lot of the strikes and also just in, in the labor mo- movements more broadly. So much attention being put on, and, and we see this with the sag after st- strikes as well, mm-hmm, and it looks mm-hmm, like the gamer, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people in the gaming industry are getting ready to potentially go on strike. You know, they're looking at the pay for the CEOs and yep. saying, you know, you're denying us these small increases while you've been giving this to your CEOs and also giving this to your investors. And this, you know, I know we tried to get at this on the show the other day and I didn't quite take it over the finish line. Um, But this idea that a couple years ago, many of America's corporations promised that they were going to Mm. rebalance their priorities of not just focusing on investor and shareholder value and giving returns to investors, but to distribute distribute the gains more broadly across all stakeholders, including employees, including communities. And we are now in a situation where workers are saying, take some of the profits that are going to CEOs and to shareholders and give them to us. And it's a fight. It's a fight. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I had totally forgotten that promise that those CEOs made. It, I think it was right before the pandemic, right? It was, it was four mm-hmm. or five I'll years ago. I'll bet they're very ago, happy so. that most of us forgot about it. <laughs> Nine? Yeah. Business well, roundtable. Because it's my job. Uh, but super I, interesting. I don't yeah. know. Nobody mentioned, nobody talked yeah. about it once the pandemic kicked in because there were yep. so many other huge stories. And there also wasn't really a mechanism to track what those promises, like what it would mean for those promises to actually be kept. So if you're saying that you're no longer going to focus just on shareholder value, does that mean that you're going to allocate a certain percentage of profits that definitely go to workers, a certain percentage of your profits that are definitely going to be invested back into your communities? And then how are you going to deal with the lawsuits from the shareholders who say it is your job as a company to, Mm -hmm. you know, make the most money possible for us. Fox News is being sued right now because their shareholders are saying that because you all lied and knew you lied about the election, therefore you ended up having to pay out all this money in settlements, and now that harms us as shareholders, right? And so if you actively do not give shareholders as much money as you possibly can, they can come after you. Yeah, yeah, we can. Now, we should be clear here. There's a difference between between malfeasance on the part of the company sure. and a judgment against yes. Fox of, of 800-something yes. million dollars and, and companies in the normal course of business not doing anything wrong but not this sharing those proceeds. True. But yeah, I, I take your point. I take your point yeah. for sure. All right. Much more to say about this as we go along. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go next. I think it's time for guys like me to get out of the way and have people in the next generation step forward. Because they're going to be shaping the world they're going to be living in. And over the last um, a couple of decades, people of my age, the boomers, have done pretty well for ourselves. We voted for all sorts of benefits and programs for us, and we haven't paid for them. And uh, I think some of the people that are coming along next want to have a say in, uh, in how we, uh, we leave the earth and how they prepare for the, the future they're going to live in. You think? Um, So that was Mitt Romney, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, speaking on C-SPAN about his plan to retire at the end of his first term. Um, Mm -hmm. And what really struck me, a lot of the attention was made to the fact that he was saying he was basically too old to stay in in government, right? And, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Trump and Biden about, you know, people who are older, this idea that maybe it's time to give space to a new generation of leaders. But what actually struck me about those comments was him saying, and it's one of the first time I've heard um, people on the Hill, especially of that generation, saying what a lot of younger folks are saying, particularly on social media, which is this idea that older Americans have benefited economically from a lot of the Mm. policies that are in place. And there's an argument to be made that it is at the expense of younger generations. We have decreased our investment in education. We have decreased our investment in children overall. We spend more on the national debt, which therefore goes to pay for Social Security, Medicare, um, retirement benefits, uh, sort of subsidies and, and tax benefits that come from contributing to retirement accounts, which typically benefit older and wealthier people in America. Um, more is spent on like interest on the national debt than we spend on children in this country. And this idea that he's saying out loud what a lot of the complaints have been, I wonder if it's the opening of 
a very uncomfortable conversation because how do you have this conversation without sparking like generational warfare? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I agree with all that. I think um, uh, what do I think? Uh, I think he's right that that um, people vote where their interests and experiences are. And if you're a 76, 77-year-old guy like Romney is or, uh, you know, 60-year-old senator like Mark Kelly is, I think he's 60-ish, 58-ish, whatever, uh, from Arizona or, or wh- whoever, Patty Murray from Washington, you vote with your experience and your age. And, you, you know, if there was a 30-year-old in there instead of Mitt Romney from Utah— there would be different votes being taken. And I think that's a really good mm-hmm. point. I, the challenge, of course, is that people, and this is the age-old challenge, right? People with power have to decide that they don't um, want or shouldn't have the power anymore. And that's a really, really difficult uh, nut to crack. Yeah, but I mean, there's a there's a really high risk for not... <laughs> shall we say, having a peaceful of transfer of power across generations, because yeah. the risk there is getting a bunch of millennials, Gen Zs, and, you know, younger right. who right. are recognized that they can never own homes, who are right. bitter about seeing, you know, the wealthier, older generations living their best lives yep. in retirement while they struggle. And then yep. when it does t- come time where those generations are in power and older generations are reliant on them to make decisions to care for them. Like, how is that going to translate? You know? Totally. Totally. And, and yet voters and this, you know, so, so, you know, I'm going to take the presidential election here, but, but this applies in the Senate, it applies in the house, and I'm sure it applies in cities and States across the country, but voters keep voting for the old people, right? The only president in the last, I don't even know how many, well, ever, uh, who was born in the 1960s was Barack Obama. He leaves Mm -hmm. and we go to a guy born in 1946. And then he leaves and we go to a guy born in 1942. Right? I mean, it's a very imperfect system and we don't always get presented with our best available options. Yes, it is. Um, But, you know, this is why we had that discussion about ranked choice voting the other day, isn't it? Right, right, right. right. (laughs) Good point. There you go. There's Uh, a little shit. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to our deep dive. It was very interesting. And and, and I'm also very curious at some of these other ideas. I, I do feel like there's probably an untapped well of ideas to make these systems better if given a chance. But as you said, it relies on the people in power mm-hmm. actively choosing to give up some of that power for the greater good, right. which we don't have a, exactly a great track record of doing here no, in these United no, States no. of America. Anyway, uh, let's go on to the next piece of tape. This is Tim Gurner, a CEO of an Australian real estate company called The Gurner Group. And he's talking at the Australian Financial Review Property Conference this week. You may have seen this clip on social media, but we want to talk about it. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them. Um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy. So 
First of all, Mr. Gurner has apologized. Second of all, too little too late. Third of yeah. all, come on, man. And fourth of all, look, there's a real detachment between the upper echelon of corporate Australia in this case, but it applies here as well, and those mm -hmm. who are working and providing the, the labor that provides the content, that provides the material, that provides the product. And holy cow. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. This guy just got clobbered, rightly so. Rightly so. Yeah, he... I mean, he was saying that unemployment needed to jump to like forty to fifty percent. I guess so people can be no, it no. It needs to jump. By, it needs to jump by, by forty or fifty percent. By by forty or fifty percent. Sorry, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Um, but what struck me but in no. this one was he was saying the quiet thing out loud, right? Yeah. This yep. is a belief held still by a lot of executives, um, a lot of. People in general, I mean, if, if you listen to the, you know, people don't want to work crowd, uh, as opposed to the people do not want to do the jobs available for the wages available right. crowd. Right. And, you know, there's been a backlash to this, yes, but I wonder how, how much that backlash really matters when the levers of power are still being held by people, mm -hmm. many people who do think like this. Um mm -hmm. And we still have a relatively, I don't want to say tight, but um, something a little bit less than tight job market here in the United States and that some employers are still struggling to fill all of the roles that they have. Mm -hmm. People still aren't, you know, I'm, I know Mitchell was talking about this today. It's still, it seems like most of the people who want to find jobs can find jobs, even if not as quickly as they would like. But... I don't know. It This one really got me. I was just like, wow, you said that out loud. And on the one hand, mm -hmm. thank you for saying it out loud so we can have the conversation. But wow, like that's mm -hmm. that's something. That's something. It is indeed. Last one. Here we go. And the mood has changed considerably. That is because the Jets just won the game on a long touchdown in overtime. You could take a look. This is the reaction from a bar where people are realizing the bar tabs, they've been racking up all night, thinking, certainly with Rogers hurt, the bar was going to be paying that tab. It is setting in. They are going to have to go to the bar and pay that tab. <laughs> I came across I this on the social media. It was so funny. So that was AJ Bayadpour. He's a reporter at CBS5 in Milwaukee, and he was at Jack's American Pub. And they were running this promotion called Jets Lose, You Win Free Beer, with this idea that if the Jets were to lose, um, you would get free beer. And I guess people expected the Jets to lose. I'm going like, to well, add. Well, so, go ahead. So, so the Sorry, the, let me just interject the, the sports fans because you're not here. a sports ball person. So, <laughs> not, so not, the Jets perennially, the Jets perennially have been terrible. This year, they okay. got Aaron Rodgers. He's a three or four time MVP. Came, came from from Green Bay. He's won the Super Bowl a couple of times. And so the Jets were like, "Yay, this is going to be awesome." So, so this this bar figures, you know, this is great. We're, I mean, we'll do this promo. People are going to buy beer, and we're not going to have to pay because the Jets are going to lose. So. 75 seconds into the game, Aaron Rodgers snaps his Achilles <laughs> tendon. That's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at him. I'm uh, laughing no, I know. At the situation. But he goes down and everybody says, this is amazing. The Jets are going to lose. And they start buying beer and buying beer and buying beer. And then like in the closing minutes of the game, the Jets win.
The Jets win. It was amazing. It was amazing. And what's anyway, amazing about this video of this reporter, it's like you can see people like coming to the realization. And this one guy is like mm. slapping his forehead and other people, you can see them trying to count up in their head how much they've spent. Mm. And so um, the reporter did do a follow-up after getting so much attention. About 350 people opened tabs at the bar that night. The biggest bill was $160, which was all beer. And the manager um, said that the owners are actually on a retreat in the, I guess, the Dominican Republic. And they haven't decided yet whether or not they're going to continue oh this goodness. promo in the future. But I mean, they've got the publicity for oh it. They've made goodness. their money back. It <laughs> was great. It was great. The Jets win. It, you have to watch the that. video because watching people sort of have this dawning realization that they're about to have to pay these bills is quite entertaining. Oh, boy. And, you know, I, I feel a little bit bad for him. I do. That's sad. Okay. Anyway, uh, that is it for today. Uh, please, if you all have video, uh, audio or video clips that you think we should talk about on this show, do send them our way. But in the meantime, join us tomorrow for Economics on Tap. Our YouTube live stream starts at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. Today's episode of this podcast, which is called Make Me Smart, was produced by Courtney Bergseeker with assistance from H. Connolly. Audio engineering by Juan Carlos Torado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neela Farshabane. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is our executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.